0: This message is from the Axis Church, a redeemed community of missionaries living for the fame of the real Jesus. For more information about Jesus or the Axis vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. Good morning, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, For those who are perhaps new with us, um, I've been out for six, seven weeks, and uh, been on a sabbatical of sorts, um, some time away, where uh, somebody asked me if I feel rested. No, I don't feel rested physically whatsoever, because when you have four kids and (laughs) don't work and they don't have school, uh, it's exhausting uh, in good ways. But I do feel some soul rest, um, because if you've pastored or maybe... Parented, you know the, the weight and responsibility that comes with the the burden of of being responsible for others, and um, and so you can't really turn that off. But it is uh, it's it's helped and relieved some when, when you take an extended time away. So thank you for for that gift. Um, we have been busy this summer as a family, but we are thrilled absolutely thrilled to be back here. We've, we've missed you all. Um, we love you, and we're ready to roll. Uh, this past week, I was going through my reading plan of Scripture, and I came across Romans 1, and it brought you to mind effortlessly brought you to mind as I was reading what Paul said to the church in Rome. He said this in verse 11 and 12, for I long to see you. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And this is my hope for us this morning. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So that resonated with, with me in regards to being here with you. And then in that chapter one, he, he continued in verse fifteen where he says, "I'm eager to preach the gospel to you," and that's how I felt. Um, I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm excited um, to be here, and I understand a little bit of what the apostle Paul was feeling there with those Christians in Rome. Well, today I want to speak to you personally. Um, this is going to come from my heart, and I want you to over the next few minutes consider this. Um, less of a typical sermon and and feel like more of a conversation where maybe we're sharing some coffee together, um, spending some one-on-one time. That's as personal as I want it to feel. I want it to I want it to be different. I want this time to be immensely practical, and I want to be helpful for you. See, my time this morning with us here will be different than most Sundays, where typically, if you're a part of Access, you know that we work diligently through a particular text, going verse by verse, thought by thought, through a particular book of the Bible, and we thoroughly uh, preach through that as best as our time restraints give us until we complete the book. Well, that's not going to be the way that we're going to do it this morning, As I've spent some time away praying and and thinking and processing life and considering ministry and praying for access, praying for you, um, I feel this morning 100% confident that I have a message to give to you, and I ask that you consider it on a personal note and that you take it to heart. I've prayed for the last two weeks leading up to this moment right now with you. I have prayed that that this would change you as it has changed me. That this particular sermon, I have been so bold to be very honest, to pray that this would change the rest of your life. What's going to happen here in the next 30 minutes. And so I anticipate God to do something and I don't, Throw that out there as like kind of a juvenile, like, you know, best day ever type of thing. But I honestly am asking God to change our hearts in foundational ways that alter how we are to live the rest of our lives. And I'm I'm asking that he would do that during this time now. Because, you know, things are bizarre in our world right now. In our day and time, it is very interesting to see all that is going on in our world. Tremendous. Amount of hostility and hate and criticism and lots of pride, lots of jealousy, lots of envy, lots of pursuing riches and fame, lots of violence, utter confusion. And people respond to each other and the events that are unfolding before us in a number of different ways. But typically they respond in ways that have influenced them and they respond from from what they've experienced personally. So people respond differently from the Black Lives Matter movement to the Olympics, to the presidential election, to all out war and terrorism. And I often ask, and I hope that you do too, is how are we to respond the right way to all that's going on? What is right? What is the right way? And how are Christians to determine who to side with? Are there sides? Should there be sides? How should Christians respond? How are we to know what is right and what Is wrong. Well, I submit to you today that the only reliable and eternal source of truth to speak into these sorts of issues and more, the only eternal and reliable source of truth that we have is the Bible, God's holy word. Second Timothy chapter three says this all scripture is literally breathed out by God, and it is all, Scripture, is profitable. It's profitable in ways like teaching, and for reproof, and for correction, and for training, training, developing, growing, training, chiseling, training in righteousness. That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped, ready, equipped for every. Good work. And then in Hebrews chapter four, for the word of God is living. It is a different book altogether than any other book that we have. It is a, is a unique piece of literature that stands in a in a in a different way from all other literature that we have. It is living, it is active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit to the joints and to the marrow. It discerns our thoughts and even the intentions and motives of our heart. It is powerful. It is unique. It convicts. It challenges. It encourages at a foundational heart level. The Bible has a lot to say about where we are and where we're heading. It it says a lot about what we are to know and how we are to live. The Bible is and always has been and forever will be practical. The Bible is practical. The Bible is helpful. It is creator God's very words to us, his creation. It is a gift from God to us. And as I've said for seven years now here at the Axis, is the Bible is the authority that is over us. And no Christian, no one should take the Bible and make it a personal flashlight of subjectivity where we decide where and what to do with it. That will allow it over here to speak into this part of our life, but, well, over here I feel too passionate about this, so I'm not going to allow its truth to kind of come over here I just want to stay over here. That's not fair. It's not playing according to the rules of Scripture. It's not taking Scripture for what it is because then you make yourself out to be the authority over that light limiting it in certain areas. It's not a little pocket flashlight. The Bible is the, the noon sun without a cloud in the sky that illuminates everything around and it permeates every aspect of our life and world. That is the Bible. It knows no bounds, and it cannot be, nor should it be, contained or limited in its authoritative scope. So now, in this stream of thought, I've entitled our time together in this sermon, The Priority of the Bible in the Life of the Christian. The Priority of the Bible in the Life of the Christian, or to put it more simply and on our common term with, with how we handle things at Access, this is how I mainly fight the drift. How I mainly fight the drift. Personally. Again, if this is you and I hanging out in a coffee shop, I want to share with you how I mainly fight the drift. Fight the drift meaning, this is common vernacular here at the Axis, but where we're naturally prone to just, if we take, the, take our hands off the steering wheel of the Christian life, have no concern or or little control. We just naturally drift towards selfishness and self-centeredness, not mission. You don't drift towards mission. You drift towards self-centeredness and selfishness. You drift towards worldliness. It's, It's an intentional pursuit to drift towards holiness and godliness. But we drift towards worldliness. You drift towards isolation. Community is an intentional pursuit. And so this drifting is what I'm talking about. This is how I mainly fight these driftings in life personally. I want to share this with you. You see, Christians, Christians value God. Christians admire Jesus Christ. Christians are to experience the interworking of the Holy Spirit. It is what makes them Christians. They are to esteem and study and be a student of the Bible, the Word of God. This is all part of what it means to be a Christian, to have new life in Christ. Now let me remind you here of the gospel as we begin today. I'll do this by guiding us through a bit of the major storyline of the Bible. You see, the Bible is a, a big book. There's 66 books, and they all combine to form one book, and it is made up of two testaments. Old Testament, and New Testament. Yet within these pages of these 66 smaller books, they all work together to form one major story, one grand narrative, if you will. And it flows like this in four parts, creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. Creation, fall, redemption, recreation, the big storyline of the Bible. See, creation is where all things are good, God himself even says so. He says, this is good. It is good. It is good. This is good. As recorded in Genesis 1 and 2. Man rightly relating with nature. Man rightly relating with woman, with other mankind. Man most significantly relating as we should with God in friendship with him. Seeing him face to face, experiencing his presence, his nearness, no confusion, no hostility, no sin. Creation, fall. It's where our first parents, Adam and Eve, made themselves out to be smarter, wiser, and no more than God. And they decided they knew what was best. And we do the same thing every day because their sin has affected us. We are sinners most significantly of the destruction of sin was the separation of mankind from God. No longer having Him near, no longer seeing Him face to face, no longer experiencing Him. Our wall of sin has now separated us from the perfect, holy, majestic, and powerful and almighty God as we stand in our sin and as we are defiled to our core. The fall. Redemption. Now, when you think redemption, I want you to think Jesus. And and a, a simple way of being able to speak of Jesus in his redemptive work for us is answering a few questions. Who Jesus was, is, and will be. What Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. You see, Jesus came not to simply be a cool guy that's respected, Or even admired. Jesus came to deal with your sin problem. He came to deal with your sin problem personally. He came to live perfectly for you. Because you don't have a perfect life. And a perfect life is what's required for you to be reunited with God the Father. Your Father. Not only this, but Jesus came to die the death that you deserve. The death... That's a result of your sin and defilement before God. An act of judgment. Death being the act of judgment against us. Not only this, Jesus came to bear the wrath of God in your place for your sin so that you wouldn't have to experience that or even fear that whatsoever. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, the evil one, Lucifer who is very, very real. He came to destroy His works. He came to kill death once and for all. And He came to save you, to rescue you back to the Father, making you a son of God, making you a daughter of God, reconciling you back in relationship with God before the fall. Jesus came because Jesus was sent. He was told by God the Father to go to you for you. He was sent by God the Creator out of grace and out of mercy because He loves you. God loves you. And now by faith... In the finished work of Jesus, you get to experience life in Christ and a renewed, personal, real, deep, and meaningful relationship with God the Father. How beautiful is that? How marvelous is that? Greater news has never been told, nor will it ever be told. This is it. Jesus came to bring about not only this recreation of our Hearts to beat for Him in relationship with Him. He came to bring about all things new. Recreation in its totality. All things renewed. All things restored. Perfect justice. Perfect peace. The kingdom of God completely and fully realized. Paradise with Him forever. Heaven throughout all of eternity, future, in His presence. So step one in how I mainly fight the drift is I continually try to believe this. I continually try to believe what you just heard. I continue to try to intentionally hope in the news that was just preached to you. To remind myself of these truths that we've heard over and over. If you've been raised in the church, this isn't anything new that you've heard. Reminding ourselves of these eternal truths Hoping, fighting to keep them fresh and new. God protect us from the gospel being routine or mundane or old news. I continually fight to respond to this good news of God's love for me. Because if I don't continue to remind myself of what God has done for me, I'll find myself working for the approval of God to impress him instead of resting in the finished work of Christ where Jesus was impressed or God was impressed because of what Jesus did for me. And another way I'll drift is I'll drift to trying to find your approval and the approval of Twitter followers and Instagram followers and people I play basketball with and the clothes I wear trying to be impressive or or have to have a a nice big house or a nice new car. The list goes on and on of where I'll drift to find meaning and significance and identity and purpose and value and worth. But God says, Jeremy, I've got all that here. My perfect approval because my son lived, suffered, and died for you. So that I would constantly and always be thrilled with you. Because it's not your performance, it's Christ's performance for you. And I'm satisfied with that. That was good enough. So now you are good enough. Or as the Bible says, you are now justified, you are now made righteous. You see, I drift to finding value. And identity apart from the gospel if I don't intentionally remind myself of it daily. I encourage you to begin this practice if you haven't already. Step two of, of how I fight the drift, how I mainly fight the drift is I persist daily in the scriptures. And here's where I want to spend the majority of our remaining time. You see, as a young boy, my parents, I'm a pastor's son, my, my grandfather well, was an elder at a church, my great-grandfather was a church planner. I don't, I don't know what happened before then, but, but it's kind of like been church is a part of who I am. It's, I was raised in the church. And so being a pastor's kid, you were always to take your Bible with you to everything, to Sunday school, to church on Sunday morning, to training union. You probably don't know what that is. That's like the pregame for Sunday night church, and then Sunday night church, and then Tuesday night visitation, and then Wednesday night, RAs, Royal Ambassadors, which you probably don't know what that is either. Um, it's okay. And then choir practice on Wednesday night, and then Saturday work day, like at least eight times a week, you were required to take your Bible to, work, or to, to church, uh, to the ga- multiple gatherings. And that's a grace of God that I had parents that told me, Jeremy, get your Bible, bring your Bible with you. So I had this Bible with me. And then once you got into Sunday school, you were given a piece of paper and you were to check off things that you've done that week. And it had Monday with blocks and Tuesday with blocks. And one of those is if you told somebody about Jesus on Tuesday, you would check it if you read your Bible on Monday, you'd check it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, nobody? A couple? A few? Well, I wouldn't read, and I wouldn't tell people about Jesus, but I would check every box. So I was a pastor's kid, you know? So you, And everybody else is honest, so you look that much better, you know? It's like, you can just check away. They're not going to question you, you're the pastor's kid. And, uh, <clears throat> and then as a teenager... I remember feeling when I heard about my other classmates uh, there in Sunday school, or whatever that that were reading through the Bible in a, in a given year. I'd be like, "Man, that takes a lot of determination. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that," and because I admired it, you know. And I would try it, and then day two I'd stop, you know. But I gave it a good effort. Uh, one day I, had, I started with great intentions. Well, then progress into being a pastor. Well. I would read the Bible to study for a talk, and I I would read the Bible to study for a sermon, but nothing consistent, nothing systematic, nothing sustainable. You see, the idea is, and we drift here. We don't start here, but we drift here. You drift to the idea of thinking that you're good enough, that that you know enough, that you've got enough stored up in your life that you don't need to submit to the Bible daily. And I don't know if you know what this feels like, but it's all too real for me. It's like you've arrived in some way that you can now kind of wing the Christian life. You know enough to be all right to get by because you can't really gauge publicly your spiritual life. I mean, when when you're read about on a Twitter announcement or in the newspaper for failure, that's when they see, oh, there was a problem. But until the wheels totally fall off, you assume the best in each other. And you can even lie about how much you're faithful with Scripture. See, overall, I would, I would read the Bible off and on, but was never consistent. It was, personally, I found it too overwhelming. It required that I plan, that I focus, that I prepare. And none of that was fun. None of that was easy. It required a lot of work. And on top of that, when I would sit, the Bible would seem boring. The Bible would seem Confusing. So I talked a lot about the Bible, but rarely personally submitted to the Bible in a systematic, structured, consistent pattern. Meaning I was rarely personally instructed by it. And that's a danger. You see theological arguments and and maybe church questions would draw me to study the Bible. So I would go into the pages of scripture to get out So I would go search and rescue, but I wouldn't go there and get comfortable. I wouldn't go there and find rest. I wouldn't go there to snuggle up to my heavenly father and let him tell me the truth and let him tell me about me and let him tell me about life and let him tell me about himself So I was using it as a tool, almost whoring out the Bible, pimping out the Bible for my own gain as a Christian leader. I wasn't a student of the word, but today, and I mean this, it is by grace that I can say this. Every Christian is to be a student of the word. Every Christian. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just your parents' job. It's not for just when life hurts. You're to be a consistent student of the Bible. If you are a Christian, you are to be a student of the Bible. You see, down deep, I knew that what I was doing wasn't enough, but I honestly knew that I was to take the word more seriously, to cherish it, to to delight in it. But I didn't know how. Well, a few years back, I determined to like the Bible, which might sound strange. Shouldn't we all like the Bible, especially those who are in church, especially preachers? Ideally, yes. But being totally honest, I found it difficult to like. But I determined to like it. I determined to work and abide and remain and persist until I found joy there, until it got comfortable. I no longer wanted to use the Bible, but I wanted to purposefully love the Bible. I didn't want to merely speak from the Bible, but I wanted the Bible to speak to me. And you probably know what I mean by saying determined to like it. You see, often we have to persist in something. Before we experience joy from it. Like riding a bike. Learning how to ride a bike is not fun. Riding a bike is a lot more fun. We persist with it. Like any sport. Like learning chemistry. Like learning code. You learn it and then you can experience. The joy of it. If you, you, you know how to persist. Long enough to enjoy them. If you're married. Odds are. You didn't see your spouse and say like back before y'all were married or dating and say, Oh, Hey, I'm Jeremy. We're going to get married. That's odds are it wasn't anything like that. And if you tell me it was love at first sight, I don't believe you. Okay. Sorry. Because it takes time spending with someone before you truly love them. But you spend time with them. You dedicate yourself to them in a unique way to where you're like, man, I want to get to know you more. I want to get... And then love begins to grow from an intentional commitment to be determined to enjoy the pleasure of someone and their presence. If you like unsweetened tea or black coffee, you know what I mean by persisting to like something. And don't lie to me that the first time, Lee Seal, don't tell me that the first time you tasted black coffee, you loved it. You didn't. No one does. I don't buy it. And if you lived in the North and you were raised on unsweetened tea, I'm sorry. Very, very sorry. If you enjoy working out, odds are you know what it's like. Because you probably didn't just wake up one day and say, Man, I want to go destroy my muscles and and, and be sore for two or three days and, and just be on the threshold of death. But the more time you spend dedicating yourself to something, the more you find pleasure there. If you walked in here today, you know what it's like to be determined to do something. You rolled over at four months, you crawled at six months. That wasn't easy. It took a lot of failure. You stuck with it. You walked at one year. You were running at two or three. And now you know what it's like to experience a breeze by striding forward in a jog. So you know how to persist. And if you like a, a double chocolate stout or, a, or an IPA, like you know what I'm talking about in being determined to like something. Right? You see, I came to the place in my Christian life where I noticed my heroes of of, of dead Christians that I would read about and admire and and modern day saints that I just, I I want to emulate and I see Christ in. I noticed one big thing, one glaring thing in common that they had that I didn't. That they had a passion for Scripture. That's a fundamental thing that I wanted that I couldn't just go just start. Like, I didn't know how, how do I get there? I I want to like scripture the way that these men and women loved and cherished and liked, enjoyed scripture. And I simply didn't want to be left out. I wanted a passion for the word. And then I would read passages like Psalm 42, where it says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, as an exhausted deer at the end of its run, Pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, oh God, for my soul thirst for God, for the living God. And I read that and I'm like, I've got to use my imagination too much to see what he was experiencing in that very real moment when he wrote these words. Because I, if I'm being honest, don't know what it's like for my heart to pant after God like a winded, thirsty animal. I don't know. But there's something about that when I think about it. I want that. I, I w- how cool to be if I could experience that, to be so desperate that I have to use words like "pant" and "thirst" and "hunger. I want that. In Psalm 27:4, one thing. Think about that. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. One thing that I'm seeking after that I've asked God for that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to stare, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing. Is that the one thing that you would honestly ask for? Maybe here in this moment, maybe in the middle of this sermon, perhaps. But what about on Wednesday? 2.30. Is that the one thing that if just ask in a moment, one wish, what would it be? It probably wouldn't be that. But as I sit back and I think of the totality of life and even life eternally moving forward, not just my 73, 75 years, but all of eternity, millions of years into the future, when I take that big perspective and I genuinely think and pray through it that is something i want that probably is the one thing i would want but i want it to be there on 230 on wednesdays i want that to be the heartbeat of who i am i want it to be something that yes that is what i long for more than anything else to be in the presence of god staring at his majesty awestruck in his glory yeah i want that i want to want that Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I want to know what he's talking about. Are you with me? Like, do you see that and think, oh, I'm nailing that. I know exactly what he's talking about. I don't, but I want to. I want to have the palate Of David, when he says in Psalm 119, How sweet are your words to my taste? How sweet are your words? How sweet is the Bible to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want to know what he's talking about, but I often don't understand, but I want to get in on that. You see, we persist with stumbling, but we learn how to walk. We persist with bitter drinks. But yet we learn to appreciate. We persist with solid foods. Yet we develop a palate. We persist in difficult relationships. Yet we get to experience seasoned, mature and deep love. But when we come to the Bible, if it's not glitter, glamour and fireworks, we're out. We we don't persist. We don't develop grit. Grit and we don't de- we don't determine to dwell and stay. And we throw in the towel far too soon. My sweet family, don't be content with milk. Eat steak and eat flavorful vegetables. Don't be content to crawling. Learn to run. And let's do this together. In the years that we're going to have in shared life here in Nashville, let's learn this together. Let's persist together. Let's stay in the scriptures until we find deep and abiding joy and refreshment there in its pages. Let's do it. Let's just determine to do this. And I've hope and I've prayed that this would be an encouraging time to, to cause you to persist in the scriptures, to endure, to continue, because you're not good enough to wing it. The decisions you're making in this stage of life that you're in are far too critical and crucial for you to make them on your own in your subjective emotionalism. You need to be rooted and grounded in scripture. You need to be dedicating yourself as a student of God, as a student of his word, as a Christian. You must be spending time in the scriptures. I know I'm not good enough to wing it, but for years I was convinced I was good enough. But now by grace, I know that I'm to read the Bible every day of my life. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. I challenge you to do the same thing. Read the Bible every day. Develop a rhythm. You eat every day. You eat at least three times a day. You've developed a rhythm with food. Develop a a rhythm with the word of God. And I believe this is just, I'm not there yet, but I'm I'm getting a little bit closer, but I'm Thinking that the longer that we can persist daily, the more that we're going to be dissatisfied, much like hunger when we don't have it. But you'll never know that until you develop an appetite and a rhythm to where that food is expected. And when it's not there, there's a longing, there's an absence, there's a hunger. Develop a routine, have a consistent time, have a certain chair, a certain room, maybe even a reading plan. Take it serious. I'll share with you briefly about my routine. This is just a way. It's not the way, but it's something that I have found to be very helpful. Every day I sit down and this is my Bible for 2016. So I have one for the last three years. So I've been doing this and I write on the Bible 2016, whatever the given year is, this is like my kit, and this is immensely practical, okay? So we're having coffee together, and you asked me to show you this, so I'm showing you. <clears throat> and then in here, it's like an all-in-one kit. Um, I bought a, a nice pencil, and this pencil is the only pencil used to mark in this Bible in this year. And when I'm finished, I extinguish the lead. Probably too much information, but I extinguish the lead right here in the middle of the Bible. So there's like a, a colored portion of it with the, the ink or the, the lead And I don't write in pen because I feel like it's too proud, too permanent. Like I want—I like the eraser. Um, (laughs) So humble yourself and use pencil. Uh, No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, But but in here, um, in in the very front, um, I have post-it notes, and these are for me just to keep certain notes of certain things. Uh, And I also have my reading plan um, that's folded up. You can print these off at a. Crossway.com. There's all sorts of different reading plans. This one in particular is the Machine Plan. Um, he's a, a dead theologian that developed a really cool reading plan where you read from four different portions of the Bible each day. And it's amazing how they all uniquely fit together. It's surprising, uh, but you're able in this one you're able to read all of the Old Testament, Psalms and Proverbs twice, and the New Testament twice. So it's an extra dose of the New Testament and some of the poetry of the Bible. But in here, there's a post-it note for, for for just notes in general, but there's one here that is a prayer that I pray every day. And maybe this is helpful. Maybe you could begin practicing this. It's every day before I read, I, based on Psalm 119.18, where it says, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What's implied there, if you see, we would not be able to see wondrous things in his law unless he would do what open our eyes yeah and so I mean you could you could look at this all day and I could ask you to read it and it's not helpful But if you ask me to do this, then you're able to see it. You're able to read it. In a similar way, that's how I look about praying before I open the Bible. And my prayer is like this. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Open my ears that I might hear. Open my mind that I would understand and know. Open my heart that I would experience you and all that you want me to know. I'm not enough. I know you are. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me. I need you to be near me speak to me. And then I go to the pages of scripture because I don't want my heart to grow dull. I don't want to barely hear. I don't want my eyes to be closed. I want to see, taste, hear, feel, experience. I want to know. And God does change my heart towards him. He He does align my heart with his will. He does change me. He heals me in my time with with him. And I believe God answers this prayer. And I believe he will hear you. I believe he will respond to you as you seek him and ask him, perhaps even a similar way like this, to speak to you through his word. So every January I buy a new Bible, or really during the fall, uh, before January I have it so I can start January one because it's tough finding the right Bible that you want in between Christmas and New Year's, right? Uh, and so find one in advance, prepare and have it, and and be ready to start day one. Again, this is just my way, and this is what I, what I enjoy. So as I work my way through this, my children, they give me notes and things, and I don't know what to do with them, and I would, I'm sentimental, so I would love to keep them all, but I don't really know how to do that. Well, I put them in that given day that they give them to me, I put them in that reading plan day. And uh, if we go to the movies, I'll put like there's flight tickets from when I would travel in here. So it works as kind of an annual for the given year. And then one day my children might get a gift from me and I would give them one of these Bibles. Maybe I would give some, you know, as a gift to anyone that is very special, giving, giving this away one of my years of the Bible. And as the years begin to move forward, my children would see the volumes that their daddy has plowed through Diligently so that they would see daddy didn't just use the Bible to preach. He didn't just use the Bible to be on a stage. Daddy used the Bible because he believed there to be something so special, so needed that he was there daily, year after year, seeking the Lord. And if perhaps my children, I pray that this doesn't happen, but if they rebel, maybe when I'm dead and gone, they'll find one of these old volumes and they'll see where daddy didn't know it all, where there's question marks in here, where there's, where there's writing out personal angst in regards to certain passages, where they're able to maybe read some of my notes and God would use that in his infinite knowledge and foreknowledge, be able to bring them to repentance by them dwelling over a Bible that daddy wrote years ago. So it's sort of a journal in a way. And I use emojis. Like I put like shock face, whatever that is for you. I use a smiley face. I use a frowny face. I put question marks. I'm like, yes, and and wow, and whoa. And I don't know if you use this word, but I put dang in there. Like if that's offensive, I'm sorry. But like when you see how Jesus talks to certain religious cats, it's like dang, like that's just, wow. Like, and so I just write in the margin, like that is, that's crazy. I, there's the words crazy in there a lot. Like, this is bizarre. This is crazy. But I work with the text like this. I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling over it, working to appreciate the Bible. You see, this time that I'm talking about, it's not where I meditate deeply on scripture, This is sitting down and I'm reading every morning before I start my day. It's kind of like a multivitamin. Meditating and developing sermons and all that's more like sitting down for a meal and getting nutrients. This is my daily time where I'm just popping my vitamins and I'm hitting the road. And I encourage you to develop this routine. You see, we've kind of throughout church history, I don't know how this has happened, it's more of a modern phenomenon, but we have this idea of a quiet time and it's got to be like an hour and you've got to read some, pray some, journal some, unless you don't give an hour or 30 minutes is cutting it, but that's okay. Unless you commit to like this robust daily time, all the time, every day, then it's not enough. And I find myself tapping out of that because it's not sustainable with four children, with all that I've got going on. But I want those times where I can sit down for extended times. And that's my meals. But I also need my daily, uninterrupted, consistent, without fail, time in the word. I need that anchor. And I don't walk away from my time each morning with an incredible tweet. Right? An incredible verse that I just have to share. I don't come away with an encouraging truth every time. It's not fireworks and glamour. But what I do walk away with is subconsciously and purposefully I'm telling myself, Jeremy, you're not enough and you're not going to wing life. But in this is life. And if you continue to submit to something bigger than you, you're going to better know how to handle the difficult times that are before you. You're going to know how to develop a rudder and a sail and oars. But just on your own, you're just floating aimlessly. But the more time you sit, it's a practice of submitting. It's a practice of opening this. And I'm subconsciously thinking and telling myself, I'm not enough. I have to have this each day. And so that consistent discipline has taught me more about who God is and who I'm not, really, than any certain truth that sticks out that's shareable. Though those things are gifts and those things do come. But that consistent plowing through the Bible, I have experienced incredible pleasure from. And I'm developing more and more of a palate and taste. Be a student of the word. You'll be a healthier roommate. You'll be a much better neighbor. You'll be a healthier mother and father. You'll be a healthier husband and wife. You'll be a healthier disciple and disciple maker. You'll be a healthier missionary. Persist in the scriptures. I hope that you consider this as a challenge and that you respond to this challenge with fervor, with grit, with determination that I know that you have. You're gifted and skilled and you, you do so much in life. Take some of that creativity and drive and put it towards the scriptures. And please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not speaking as one who has arrived. I know that I'm experiencing the grace of God here in, in actually beginning to enjoy the Bible, but it's because of the persistent prayer and, and, and grit given to it. And I, I do ask you, to pray for this. I do ask you to develop this grit, please. All I wanted to accomplish was that you would be spurred on to be appreciative of God's word and that you would be spurred on to dedicate yourself to knowing God in the scriptures, to where you don't just exist off of sunny morning or a cool podcast or someone who tweeted something, but where you are a student and you're discovering these things in a long obedience. In a consistent obedience in in the same direction. Do these things. I ask you, do these things. That's how you'll face the uncertain days that we're in. That's how you'll know how to live life. That's how you'll lead well. Let me conclude with Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? How do you keep yourself pure? By guarding it according to your word, not trying to wing it, not thinking I know best. By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Now, when I read that, I say, God, let this be true of me. Let me seek you with my whole heart. I'm not there, but I want to be there. Let me not drift. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I would sin less, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. And in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. O oh God, would that be true for us? I will meditate on your precepts and your truths and fix my eyes on your ways. And I will delight in your statutes. I'm determining to delight in your statutes. Help me not forget your word. So now, access. I want to pray for us, and I want you to pray as I pray. I want you to pray along with me that you would develop grit, that you would have a passion for God's Word. Ask God to create a desire. If there's no desire, ask God to teach you to care about Scripture. Ask Him to give you the palate, the appetite. Ask Him, say, God, I've tried this over the years, and I don't have it in me. Would you pull me towards you? Would you draw me towards you? Because I don't know how to create this passion in my heart for your word. But if you would make it attractive, then I'm sure I'll like it. So would you draw me there? Would you bring me there? Would you develop a taste that can only be satisfied by that? Can you do that? Ask him for this. Ask for the creativity and consistency needed to be a student of the Bible all of your days let me pray for us. Jesus, Lord, would you do this for your people here for this precious church family? Lord, would you, would you make us together? Would you make us students of your word? Would we be captivated by its pages? Would we have a appetite that Lord just continues to be drawn to feast more and more on your truths to where we do faint after you? We, we long after you, we desire it so much. Would you help us here? We, we can't just make this happen on our own. But God, with our strength and with your spirit working in us, Lord, help us get to the place where we are students of your word. God, help us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, Axis Family, as a way of reminding us each week of God's love for us, of Christ's work for us, and the Holy Spirit's presence with us, we're going to share now in communion with one another. And so this is for you, Christian. Christian, you can come when you are ready, and you're going to take the bread, which represents the body of Christ given for you. And you're going to take that bread, remembering the body, remembering what Jesus did for you in His perfect life, giving up His life for you on the cross, and you're going to dip it in the juice or the wine. That juice and wine illustrating the very blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, the God-man who who gave Himself as a sacrifice, and where there was at one time 2,000 years ago actual blood that fell from the veins of the Son of God for you. And as you take that and you dip it, you remind yourself of the gospel this morning. You remember what Christ did for you. Dwell on that. Think on that. Think on it until you worship Him and appreciate Him. Don't just casually come and take it, dip, and go back to your seat. Remind yourself, this is... This is proof that God loves me. God loves me. Jesus worked for me. And the Holy Spirit is with me, in me, changing me to become more like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your working. And you take and eat. Man, what an opportunity we have here To remember and worship what Christ has done for us. Let me pray for us, and you can come when you're ready. Jesus, thank you for your gift. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your hard work. God, thank you for sending your son to us. What a gift. What grace. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us here and at all times. Lord, add your unique blessing to this time of communion with your church. We can't wait to eat this meal with you one day. Until then, Lord, help us become more and more like you. Help us as a church, corporately, individually, fight the driftings and pursue you intentionally. Nashville needs you. Middle Tennessee needs your people living for your glory, declaring your truth so that you could save us, save our region and city. God, do your thing. Thank you for letting us play a part in it. Thank you for your work. In Christ's name I pray, amen.